Well, I'm glad to be back after a little break. I trust you've had a good break out there as well. And uh, getting together again tonight and, and seeing how we can just dig into the Word of God and continuing in our study in the book of 1 John. So, welcome. And uh, trust that as we share together tonight, we will be able to glean much from the Scriptures and just applying it and, and being encouraged, really an encouraging passage before us. Pray for us, and I'm going to read the passage, and we're in 1 John chapter 5, and then make some comments as we try and move through the meaning and the application of this particular passage. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, your truth, the word that you have given to us, preserved for us. Lord, that we can learn, that we can grow. And Lord, that your word not only informs us, but also changes us as you mold us and form us, as you sanctify us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And so as we come together tonight uh, in the study, those who gather, those who listen, that there would be an engagement with the Word, but Lord, an encounter with you, that each one of us would, Lord, love you more and have the desire to please you more, serving you in the, the purposes that you've set before us. So thank you for tonight, and do guide us as we commit ourselves to you, praying for your Holy Spirit to be at work in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so do turn with me in the passage, and it's uh, 1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 13. Uh, John writes, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is a sin that does not lead to death. I'd like to just take the passage that far tonight in uh, our consideration, trusting that uh, we would be able to benefit from it. I do want to go back and just uh, remind you of where we were last time. And uh, in the last study, we did consider something of the, the gospel. And, and to remind you tonight in this uh, introduction, uh, the very nature of the gospel uh, we need to understand that the gospel is not some kind of philosophy. It's not some kind of uh, ideology. Uh, the gospel uh, is something that was accomplished, good news that was accomplished in days gone by. So just more than 2,000 years ago, uh, something happened. Uh, Jesus took on human flesh, second person of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. Uh, he eventually was crucified, and on the third day he was raised, and then later ascending, ascended into heaven. So let, let's not forget that, that this is historical reality. And, and we do need to convince or be convinced in our own minds that Jesus really lived. There was a man named Jesus. 
and the truth of how he came conceived of the Holy Spirit in, in the Virgin Mary. That, that was historical reality. He came, we're told by John in chapter 5 and verse 6, he came by water and the blood. Again, telling us something of the unfolding of historical events. There was a day when we know that Jesus went down and, and uh, wanted to be baptized by John the Baptist. And when he was baptized, we read in the scriptures again something that, that took place, uh, a voice from heaven, a declaration by the Father, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And, and so from there on, there is this public ministry that follows uh, Jesus having come uh, by water. And, and then the crucifixion, speaking to the reality of what took place on the cross and all that was accomplished in him being the atoning sacrifice uh, for the sins of many, for the sins of the world. So the, com the Father commissioned Jesus. Jesus willingly undertook this mission and con completed it. He concluded the mission and redemption was accomplished. The Son obeyed His Father, uh, revealing the glory of the Father, revealing something of the nature of, of, of God in the miracles that He, he did and, and the teachings that He brought. And then uh, the reality of Jesus uh, being raised from the dead and then ascending into heaven. So, so the important thing about the gospel is that we declare that which God accomplished in time and space at the, at, the, at, the, at, at the appointed time, at the right time, Jesus came and did this particular uh, work. And, and so as we declare the gospel, we are telling people of what God has accomplished. We are reinforcing the reality of what was achieved in, in what Jesus did. And we speak of those words, redemption accomplished. And so for those of us who believe, we believe the report. We, we receive the benefits uh, of what was accomplished because the, the, the invitation is to receive and, and, and to believe and to, 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 to experience the blessing of the gift of what uh, Jesus accomplished. Now we have a summary and, uh, in, in, in the 12th verse. I didn't read that. But uh, John writes there, he says, whoever has the Son has life. Now oh, that's very, very important. There's a wonderful benefit uh, believing this report, uh, receiving this report, enabled, of course, by the Holy Spirit to see this truth, uh, to hear this truth, and, and having this blessing of life. And it is life uh, described as eternal life. Uh, the opposite, of course, being true, true, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. But I want to encourage believers tonight. Uh, if you are a believer, if you, if you have received the Son, if you believe the report of what Jesus accomplished, that means that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in you and this redemption that he has, that he has accomplished is being applied. So there's this benefit uh, in this life. The eternal life uh, begins as we have this relationship, uh, this reconciled relationship with God where we begin to fulfill the very purpose for which God made us as human beings in His image, with this ability to relate to Him, to know Him as our Father, to experience the blessing of, of forgiveness and acceptance, 
inclusion into his family and, and the life that not only uh, applies in, in these few years that we have on this earth, but a life that continues into eternity. So it's true. It's a wonderful truth. God has given to the believer eternal life. But tonight I want to speak about another benefit. We touched on it last time, but I want to elaborate more, uh, more so on this uh, benefit tonight. A specific benefit that we, we really need to use, uh, that we can make use of in this world that we live in. And it's found in verse 14. Wonderful uh, declaration by John. Uh, as he writes uh, in verse 14, he says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so my very first point this evening that I'm wanting to make, and my slides are not working, <laughs> uh, so we'll just have to take them one at a time, is you can ask God for help. That is a wonderful benefit. It's a wonderful blessing. Why do I say that? Because in this world, we know that this world is broken. We experience the reality of many difficulties. We have disappointments along the way, often experiencing painful realities. And, and we know around us as we look and we see this is a dark, sinful world. And so as we progress in the living of our lives, there is this benefit that we don't stand on our own as helpless and hopeless in despair. You can ask God for help. And I, I want to exaggerate uh, to some extent or elaborate perhaps is the better word on, on, on just this, this tremendous and obvious need. It, it's, 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 it's a need that one can't avoid but see. Uh, looking uh, from the bigger picture to the smaller picture. Now start with the bigger picture in terms of the international uh, realities in the world today. The world is in conflict. We're watching uh, day by day war unfolding in uh, at the moment between Russia and Ukraine. But that's not the only place. Wars in other places, uh, many countries in the world, even in our own continent where there are uh, Leaders and, and rulers who are autocrats and, and self-centered and selfish and enriching themselves to excessive and abundant extremes and, and poverty that abounds all around them. Uh, we, we live in a broken world internationally. We're told, and I don't know the facts of the matter, but if it is true, uh, what about climate change and, 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 and the rising of sea levels and, and, and issues that will come about as a result of excessive pollution and, and uh, poisonous emissions from our motor cars and uh, the different uh, industrial uh, places that there are in the world? So that's just as a brief picture. This world that we live in means that it's broken. We need help. In our own country, nationally, uh, don't want to sound like a broken record, we have challenges uh, politically, economically. Uh, the reality of crime and lawlessness that pervades our society, uh, the disregard for, for human life, and, and, and even a real sense and perception that God is not important. That God has been marginalized or domesticated. 
If we move closer and we move to the reality of local churches where uh, churches have conflict, uh, people struggle often in times of difficulty in the church. There, there is the challenges of the uh, false teaching and deception that comes, liberalism that that uh, pervades again our churches, emotionalism, sometimes deceiving people, uh, giving them the wrong impression and, and, and a false sense of security as they stand uh, before God. And, and quite frankly, it would be true to say that, and, and I read of this not only in the South African context, but worldwide, uh, the two years of lockdown in COVID has resulted in a decline in church attendance. Now, now, what does that mean? Does that mean that those people were never believers? Well, there are obviously some who were never believers. There are obviously some who are still not coming back and, and, and for fear of, of, of the virus. And, and we can understand where there are health reasons, those kinds of fears. But, but the, the, the point is, there are needs. Needs are real. And the point I'm wanting to make tonight is you can ask God for help. So important, so so wonderful, so beneficial, this that we have been given uh, from God. But let's speak a little bit about this uh, benefit. And, and especially in the word that John uses in that sentence, he uses the word, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. Now, he's not speaking of arrogance. Uh, this confidence, and there's a, a translation of that word that helped me understand it. It, it. it refers to having freedom of speech, having that sense, that ability to be able to speak to God, our Father in heaven, freely. Now we know, I know that there's certain people that we feel awkward with or, or, or certain people that we feel are beyond us and, 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 and superior because of perhaps the intelligence or their particular office or station in life. Well, the reality, in spite of who God is, as the creator of the universe, as the one and only God worthy of worship, the one who keeps the world going and, and unfolds his particular redemption purposes, uh, the God who is all wise and good and compassionate. We have access. We have confidence. We have freedom of speech. Or, 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 or another way of translating this world is we have boldness toward God. A boldness toward God. An ability to go to him. And, and, and John has spoken about this before when he was speaking of the day of judgment back in chapter 4 and verse 17. Again, speaking about those who are believers having confidence on that day. Again, an access to God simply because of the work of Christ, not having to fear the wrath of God. Uh, Jesus having received uh, punishment in, in place of the believer. And, and, and so the believer having this confidence this benefit in the reality of the anticipation of future judgment. But there's more. Not only a confidence, but as we look at that particular verse, we have access to God, we have freedom of speech, we have boldness. But he goes on, we have, uh, yes, this welcoming entrance into the presence of God. But notice what John says. He hears us. He hears us. You see, it's one thing to have access. But wow, what a benefit to know that he actually 
years us. I want to quote uh, John Stott, and he speaks of this confidence, and he says, It is a confidence both in the manner of our approach to God. There's a freedom, there's a boldness, is what he's saying. Chapter 3 and verse 21 would be a good reference. And, and now to, in addition to that, in terms of its outcome, namely, that he hears us. Now, we need to go back to thinking about this verse if we ask anything, anything um, of, of God. Uh, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Is this just an obscure verse uh, that may we may think is leading us astray and giving us false hope? Um, how do we understand? How do we understand this verse? Well, it's not a single verse uh, where it's the only verse that speaks of this kind of benefit. Jesus himself in John chapter 14, verse 13, and saying to his disciples, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And then a, a chapter later, in chapter 15, verse 7 and verse 16, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It is clear and to emphasize, to encourage, we can ask God. We can ask God. We must ask God. We ought to ask God. But, but, and this is my second point, you do need to know where to draw the line. What do I mean by that? We cannot take a verse like this and abuse it or misinterpret what we are being told about the access and the benefit that we have to God. We must not presume that this benefit, this promise, gives us license to ask God for anything we like. That's not what the verse says. It's according to His will. It's in His name. It's remaining in Him and, and His words remaining in us. And so we need to recognize, we need to understand that sometimes we ask amiss. I was teaching this Bible study with another group and somebody made the comment that 99.9% of our prayers are not answered. Now, that may be true. But it may be true because of what James says in chapter 4 verse 2. Let me read the passage. He says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, here's the point. Here's the, here, here's the crux of the issue of, of, of what we perceive to be unanswered prayer. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There is a line in terms of what we can ask for and knowing that God will hear us and respond. 
we need to understand, yes, the promise is that he hears us. But it is also true that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So there needs to be an aligning with God. need to understand the mind of God, the, the purposes of God, the nature of God, and, and not be asking things that, that are self-centered and, and selfish and, and outside of the scope of, of the will of God. God hears and answers prayer with a qualification. And the qualification is we cannot, we should not pray according to our sinful desires. And we know that they are there. And so we need to be drawing near to God. And, and what Jesus said to his disciples about uh, remaining in him and, and he, his words, my words remaining in you. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to uh, know his word, the more we accept that word, the more we hide that word in our hearts, the more our prayers will line up with that which is in accordance with his will. It's like what Jesus taught his disciples. Um, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There must be alignment. There must be a synchronizing of, of, of what we're asking for, what we're wanting. And, and it's not God who adjusts uh, his will. It's us that, that we need to adjust our will and, and our desires. We're to pray according to the will of God. And, and let me add, yes, add something here about the nature of God. When we speak about the will of God, we're speaking about God who is all wise. God knows what is best. God knows what we, his children, need in this journey that we are, are on, on the way to heaven, in, 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 in what needs to take place in our lives as we are being sanctified, in, in, in God fulfilling his purposes through us, God is all wise. And those of us who are parents know something about uh, the importance of wisdom. We know I have four children and uh, over these many years uh, had them ask for many things and uh, they didn't always get what they asked for. Because as parents, Carol and I knew uh, with greater wisdom that what they were asking for would not be good for them, would not be right for them. And so there were times when we said no. There were times when we said to them, wait. There were times when they asked and we gave it to them. And, and God, our Father, who is the perfect Father, who sees all things from beginning to end, this, this God who is all wise and holy and all powerful, we can have confidence that he will give us, like the Apostle Paul, just even to use an example, uh, the thorn in his flesh, repeatedly asking God to remove the thorn uh, from his side. It was Paul's desire to have this, this thorn uh, taken away. God said no. And, and the, the wisdom of God unfolding in that particular patch is that by, by leaving that thorn uh, in Paul's life in his side, kept him from becoming proud. It, it had a direct purpose in sanctifying him, in growing him in his faith, in conforming him to the likeness uh, of God. So we must seek to pray 
in line with the perfect will of God that we will grow in and and sometimes we'll pray and because we don't pray according to the will of God it will be no and and it will other times be wait and and other times it will be yes remember Jesus living out this very principle in his own life uh, this passage the account of him in the garden of Gethsemane uh he went away a second time, Matthew 26, verse 42. prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The Son, in submission to the Father, in, in a time of great difficulty. So, what are we saying here tonight? What am I saying? Well, certainly this passage is telling us of a wonderful benefit that we have in this life. It's a wonderful benefit to have access to God, that He hears our prayers, that we have this confidence. But prayer is not a convenient device to impose our particular will on God. It's not a mechanism whereby we are bending His will to accommodate our will. Instead, it's the way of us, it's God's prescribed way of us subordinating our will to His. And so we do need to know where to draw the line. We need to pray according to His will. Well, since we believers have this confidence to speak really to God, yes, we need to recognize there's a danger of being preoccupied with ourself and, and with our own circumstances and so i want to move on now in the passage having established the parameters of uh, this particular benefit to a third point and it is the third point that is going to speak to the issue of not neglecting to pray uh, for others and so my third point this evening would be yes you should i should pray for others others also stand in the need of god's help Not only have we seen already in this particular letter our duty to love others, to take care of others in terms of their physical needs, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. But now particularly in this context over here, we are going to see that we ought to be involved in praying for the spiritual needs of our brothers and sisters. Have a look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray that God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Now, now let's remember the situation that John was addressing. There was controversy going on. There was serious controversy going on. And, and, and so there were those, there were those in that situation uh, causing doubts. Uh, to be the experience of some of those who were true believers. But others uh, who were causing the disruption uh, probably were not believers. And, and, And so as a result, these believers who were struggling with doubts and disillusionment and, and, and feeling perhaps even a sense of, of neglect and, and lovelessness fell into sin. They, Backslid is a term that we would 
be familiar with today. And it would be true that even today, sometimes believers fall into sin. Uh, Believers uh, take their eyes off Jesus, and and believers get involved in in doing things that are are in disobedience to God, and uh, grieve the heart of God, and uh, distant from God. And so the, the urging that John brings over here is understand that we need to pray for people who fall into sin. And, and that could be any one of us. Remember earlier in the book uh, where, where, where John said, do not sin, but if you do sin. You know, so he's, he, he's, he's assuming that there are going to be times uh, that, that we will sin. Well, here again, we, we need to see, let's, let's pray for those. They need God's help. Uh, rather than uh, using their situation as a cause for gossip, we ought to pray. Uh, and he has a wonderful promise. He should pray and God will give him life. God will restore that person's spiritual vitality. If this person is a genuine believer, this person has drifted away from God, this person has been committing sin or has committed a particular sin, This person can know uh, the blessing and forgiveness and be restored into uh, a place of uh, being once again uh, zealous for God and and in a good place in his or her walk with God. Now, if the passage ended there, it would be a lot easier. We pray for those who commit sins, each other as we may fall along the way. But the passage goes on because John raises a situation over here. Pray for those, a brother, a sister committing a sin that does not lead to death. But then on the other hand, he raises an exception. Verse 16, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Wow. So now what on earth does that mean? How do we understand it? What is the sin that leads to death? Well, John has already said that the sins of those who believe the gospel are not fatal. Those who are true believers. And again, I remind you of what I just shared a minute ago. My dear children, chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that, that, that's dealt with. He has also said that the sins of these divisive people in the, in the church, that the ones who are causing the trouble, the Gnostics, uh, these sins are against the very heart of the gospel. And the reality is they were denying the gospel. They were not true believers. And so we could say that they were those who belonged to the world. And so what we need to see is that uh, there are two categories of sin. The lapses, if you like, of what John calls my little children. uh, Sins that we fall into as true believers. But there's a more serious rejection of the gospel on the part of the Gnostic heretics. The Gnostics had heard the gospel. They'd heard the report of what Jesus had had done, what he had accomplished. 
They'd been amongst the Christians, having been taught even by the apostles. But despite of that which they've seen and that which they've heard, they reject the gospel. They're not believers. Elsewhere in the Bible, it speaks of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin, which is this deliberate and, and persistent uh, rejection of Jesus. And so when the Spirit has been at work, as he had been at work in their particular context, and these people continued repeatedly, repeatedly, consistently to reject uh, the convicting and, 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 and convincing work of the Spirit, the testimony to Jesus, their hearts become so hardened that their sin, in fact, is fatal. Mark chapter 3, verse 28, verse 29, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men may be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. It's a sin that leads to death only because it refuses it refuses to have Jesus who is the only way of forgiveness. And so to clarify for the for, for the sake of our assurances and, and 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 standing before God, no sin is unforgivable except sinning against the means of forgiveness, persistently rejecting Jesus. John's point is they don't have to feel obliged to rescue the Gnostics. Let them instead rescue, be involved in praying for, rescuing the brothers and sisters uh, who had been caught in the clutches of the deceiving work of the Gnostics. Well, let me conclude. You know, Peter... Peter had spent three years uh, following Jesus. Uh, we know that. And uh, in the previous message, I said Peter was certainly one of the disciples at the forefront of following Jesus as a devout believer. And yet we find at a crucial time, at uh, around the time of the arrest of Jesus, we find Peter denying uh, Jesus three times. And uh, did that bring an end to Peter's ministry? No, no. He had a lifetime of fruitful service after that. And, and the reality is, and, and, and it's this that I want to close with, is that Jesus had warned him, but Jesus had also said to him, Peter, that I will pray for you. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So that he would not get to the place, he would not be in that place where he would be committing the unforgivable sin. But that, in fact, we know, as we read at the end of John's Gospel, there, there was a restoration of, of Peter uh, as Jesus uh, reinstates him uh, in, into his ministry. And, and so the usefulness, as I just close this uh, study tonight, the usefulness of, of being able to uh, pray for each other, knowing also that Jesus at the throne of, of grace also is interceding uh, for us, uh, carrying us, enabling us to, to run this race, getting to the end, uh, and finally uh, entering into uh, heaven and glory. And then just some questions for you to see as well. Um, perhaps taking again a, a snapshot of that particular uh, screen. 
And there's four questions if you are meeting in a group. So let me pray for us as we just conclude tonight. Lord, thank you for just the wonderful gift of life, eternal life. And thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes, helping us to see our own need for salvation, to see the blessing and the benefit of uh, the work that you have accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And we do pray for each other tonight, Lord, as we approach you as our Father, the best Father, in the needs that we have, Lord, in the struggles that we face, uh, looking to you to, to enable us, to help us, and Lord, to give us relief in many of the hardships that we encounter along the way. And then, Lord, to pray for each other, those who are struggling, perhaps someone, Lord, who has uh, committed a sin, perhaps somebody who has stepped back and, and living with a particular sin. We pray that you would restore such a one, bring them back to that place, even as we've read tonight of life, the vitality of walking with you. And Lord, please keep us from becoming uh, those who reject the gospel. Uh, keep us, Lord, we pray, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, always treasuring our Savior in who he is and what he has done. Thank you for your spirit also at work in us. And even as we uh, close off the study tonight, uh, praying for your gracious and good hand upon us. In that lovely name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you for being with us tonight.